welcome to Business Reporter's Future of Global Payments series in partnership with Currency, the global fintech helping businesses with their payments. I'm Georgie Frost. Now, in the last two episodes of this podcast series, we've been exploring how the landscape for e-commerce has been transformed since the onset of the pandemic, the challenges businesses are facing to scale globally and the solutions so that your company can fulfill its potential. In this final episode, we'll be delving into banking as a service and embedded finance, its potentials and pitfalls, and the technology behind it. I'm joined by Sam Coyne, Chief Marketing Officer of Currency, and Fard Kazri, Chief Technology Officer of Currency. Sam, Fard, welcome. Sam, let's go to you first. Before we get to how it all works, let's go back to basics, shall we? What is banking as a service or embedded finance? Where does it come from? And how does it work? Can you give me perhaps some examples as to who uses it and how? Hi, Georgie. Yes, of course. So you're starting from the top, right? Embedded finance is really the practice of embedding financial products in other experiences so that the product is delivered in a seamless manner at the right time and in the right context. And this can include products such as payments, loans, uh, insurance, or even occasionally uh, investing. So some very simple examples of this that most people have encountered would include things like paying for your taxi as part of the booking transaction instead of separately using cash. So for example, using the Uber app or taking out a personal installment loan for a purchase at the moment that you're making the purchase and for the exact amount that you need. An example of that would be buy now, pay later option at checkout offered by, say, Affirm or Klarna. Or it could be something as simple as adding optional travel insurance to a flight ticket purchase. Those are all common examples of embedded finance experiences. As a business model, where this has come from is it's an adaptation to the needs of the digital economy primarily. And it's really being driven um, by, I would identify three main kind of forces that have given rise to this. Uh, The first would be the overall declining profitability of a lot of core financial service products. Another would be evolving consumer expectations. And then perhaps the most crucial is the development of financial APIs, which FOD can get into in, in more detail. But to go in a bit more depth into the first point, so traditionally the finance industry has manufactured standalone or siloed products that are sold through a top-down push marketing and distribution model, meaning through bank branches, financial advisors, and brokers. Now, however, particularly in a digital age, the cost of manufacturing, of producing and distributing these products is very high. And what this means is that many customers, many consumers are not actually very well served unless they're very well or very wealthy. So for many people around the world, you know, products such as loans and insurance are relatively quite expensive. And that means that a gap exists between the financial needs of humanity and what the financial sector is able to provide in a profitable manner. So that'd be really, you know, the first force. The second would be consumer expectations. So as we have adopted phone-based services, internet-based services, we have progressively traded our data and our attention for more convenience and more personalization. And it's natural that we now want that from our financial products as well. And then the last one is the development of financial APIs, which created new channels uh, for distribution of financial products. 
What that means is that today, developers can take components of financial services and they can abstract them into software and deliver them in an attractive package to the consumer. So that results in a new distribution model. It's a pull marketing and distribution model. It's driven by data and context. So you can now deliver the product precisely when it's needed um, and without interrupting the regular economic journey of a person or a business. They're, they're finding that product being delivered to them exactly when they need it with no interruption. And that's embedded finance. To be clear, is banking as a service and embedded finance the same thing? The terms are used interchangeably. Neither has a strict or agreed upon definition, at least not one that I am aware of. Why is now, that? Personally, perhaps to a certain extent, because the space is evolving quite quickly and it's relatively new. And then to a certain extent, you know, we're not talking about something that has, say, a regulatory body that would be in a position to define the term. But I, I think we're getting closer. I, I feel that I observe in the industry that the definitions are becoming a bit more honed in on. And what I would say personally is that embedded finance is more of an umbrella term. It's, 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 it's a big tent term, whereas banking as a service is maybe a little more specific because it refers to extending the powers of a banking license and a balance sheet, things like creating bank accounts, taking deposits, lending, and payments, extending those to non-bank financial institutions. That's what banking as a service is. I think what you find in practice is that banking as a service is often the first layer in this business model. It's connecting banks to financial API aggregators, uh, companies like Stripe or Plaid in the US. And embedded finance is the second layer of the process where the financial API aggregators then turn around and they work to embed those financial products into other marketplaces or platforms. Well, you do sometimes see the situation where banks are doing embedded finance themselves directly uh, without any aggregator or intermediary. Uh, and that's why you'll find that the terms are used interchangeably. And ultimately, it's all part of the same business model, just whatever, whatever you choose to call it. It is part of the same business model. You touched on some of the values, but just outline them for me, if you would. Who benefits most from this? What are, what are the potentials? Well, Fortunately, this is you know, the kind of development where I would say that all of the uh, stakeholders that I've mentioned so far are benefiting, are, are getting value from this. So those are you know, the financial institutions themselves. They're getting new distribution channels for their products. The platforms or the marketplaces or the services that choose to embed them, they're getting a new income source, a new revenue stream. Um, and then customers. Customers are getting more flexibility and personalization and convenience. So to go into those in a little more detail, you know, the, the financial institutions, right? The value for them is that they're now through the development of financial APIs and, you know, the market for this is they can tap into new, more cost-effective distribution channels. So an example of this I like in the B2B space is providing loans to small businesses, which is starkly somewhat challenging to do cost-effectively. What you could now do is you can work with an accounting software provider. So a company like Xero or FreshBooks or QuickBooks, one of the popular makers of accounting software used by millions of small businesses, and they can partner with a loan provider, a credit institution. So the cloud accounting software provider, they have full visibility into the financial health of their customers, and they are working with them to generate reports and statements on the, their financial health. And they're in a position 
to alert or advise their customers, their business customers, when a loan might be beneficial or needed to bridge a cash flow issue, to meet a big purchase order, anything else. And not only that, but they can offer the ability inside the accounting software to apply for that loan. And because they have all of that data on hand, all the data needed to make a decision on whether or not to approve the loan, it can be done more or less instantly. So what you now have is a situation where, you know, the, the loan provider, the credit institution, they're not in a position where they need to say, for example, advertise broadly year round so that when a small business does need a loan that they think of them. Instead, they need to make sh- they just need to make sure that their, their product is available in the right distribution channel so that when a business needs actually needs the loan, their option is being presented to them immediately. So that's, that's basically the value for a financial institution. And there are many, many examples of that. I think that's, that's quite a simple one. But essentially, it's, it's much more cost-effective distribution channels for the products. And then that leads into you know, the, the benefit, the value for the other stakeholder, which is the service provider in this instance, whether it's a platform or an e-commerce marketplace or an app, they're getting a new income stream, right? In that example, Zero or FreshBooks or whoever is providing the accounting software, they would earn a commission by acting as a, as a reseller of that financial product. And in most cases, the service provider choosing to embed the financial product is going to earn some form of revenue from it, um, as well as being able to tell their customers that they're making the experience ever more convenient for them and thus enhancing their own product. And then the last group is the customers themselves. Um, as I said, it's convenience and personalization. So you know, if you're a finance manager at a small business um, and you're using one of these accounting softwares, Let's say you have the ability in the software to generate an invoice and that invoice can contain a payment link so that your customer is able to pay you using that link. And then when they make the payment, that's all automatically up and dated and rec- updated and reconciled in your accounting system. So that's a huge efficiency gain. Um, or you're applying for the loan I mentioned, right? And you're using your full accounting records, which means that you're getting a decision very quickly, which is great for you, but you're also getting a fair assessment because they really have a complete picture of the health of your business. And so those conveniences, they add up and they really overall enhance the experience for the customer or the business. So those are, you know, in brief ways in which value is being created for all the parties involved in this. So that's the value. What mm-hmm. are the pitfalls? I will say, I think that at this moment, it's, it's really upside. Um, it is primarily upside here, but there are always things with any new development to be aware of. One I would point to is, and I think this is, this is pertinent because we're talking about financial products, is there's always a need to balance convenience against risk and accountability. So you, know, you could argue that a certain amount of friction in the user experience um, serves a purpose, if it is to educate the user about what they're agreeing to. Um, So that's maybe not so important for payment experiences, but if you're talking about embedded finance that involves credit products, loans, or investments, it's vital that the customer understands their responsibilities. Um, And so in the race to make everything as convenient and simple as possible, that's something that both service providers, financial institutions, service providers, and customers need to be vigilant of is that we're properly aware of what it is we're signing up for because I said they are financial products. And I think, you know, another potential concern, I don't really know of examples of this being a major issue, but it is something that could emerge as this becomes more popular is that financial products are essentially being debranded and sold as generics because the customer 
no longer has a direct relationship with the financial institution itself. They're only dealing with the reseller of the service, whatever the product is embedded into. And that could have an impact on customer service if there is an issue with the financial products. And in terms of pitfalls, this is more forward-looking, but I would say that you know, embedded finance providers, they're essentially middleware, right? The capital, the balance sheet, that still sits with the licensed and regulated entity with the bank or the credit institution, which in turn sits on a technology layer like a core banking system or a trade order management system. And they're using that to actually create their products. But the embedded finance player, they're working with, with many of these entities, right? With dozens and dozens of financial entities to aggregate their products and then distribute them. And what that could mean is that much like Visa and MasterCard, for example, today, networks of networks, they wield enormous power in the market. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but I think as we go into the future, that is a potential pitfall um, of embedded finance aggregators, um, depending on how the market dynamics play out, how much power they end up wielding and whether or not things sort of main balance between all the, uh, the parties in this value chain, if you like. Those would be the things that I would, I would highlight as potential pitfalls. Sam, thank you so much for that. Thard Kasri, Chief Technology Officer of Currency. Let me bring you in here now uh, to tell me a bit more about how the technology behind all this works, if you would. Hi, Georgie. So Currency was built from the ground up as a cloud-native banking solution. One of the challenges for a company like ours is to be able to iterate fast while at the same time maintaining quality and performance and regulatory compliance. If you look at, for example, the, the big banks, these are usually hindered by legacy core banking solutions that are very difficult to maintain and enhance without significant time and effort. And if you look at the other end of the spectrum of technology companies, we have the newer tech companies like the Googles and the Facebooks who have that philosophy of move fast and break things. Obviously, when you are handling people's money, breaking things is not an option. The reputational and uh, financial risk is way too big. But at the same time, we are in a competitive space where we need to be constantly innovating. So we find ourselves having to move fast and avoid breaking things. I say avoid because a bug can always creep in, but that's the idea. And you also have to deal with regulatory compliance. For example, if you are a fintech running a card program, you most likely have to be PCI compliant. And this can be very challenging for smaller companies that don't have the resources or the know-how to achieve and maintain compliance. So that is the sort of environment we operate in and to be able to move fast and at the same time, avoid breaking things and stay compliant. We have a agile software development methodology where um, the quality of our platform and the security as well is embedded in every step of our process from ideation all the way to deploying to production. So at Currency, we try as much as possible to leverage all the most modern and robust cloud solutions to be able to build fast, build safely, build securely, and deploy in production and without having to worry about, is this going to break? So what we've achieved at Currency is we have a pretty much a banking solution in the cloud that's scalable globally, where we can build new features quickly, iterate fast, and deploy whenever we want, whether if there's a, a bug that needs to be fixed or a new feature that we want to push out quickly to our users, we can do that very quickly anytime during the day. In the banking space, that's a big achievement. You usually see things where you have 
maintenance windows and oh the system is going to be down on saturday from 2 p.m to 3 p.m we don't have that we can deploy once a week or multiple times a day uh, without worrying about that kind of issue sam spoke about the forces behind the drive to embedded finance and the final one was the development of financial apis and said that uh, you would be able to talk a little bit more about that so would you sure yes I believe that financial APIs are going to be a key driver in innovation in the financial services space. What that's going to enable is you're going to have new players who can come in and leverage APIs provided by banks or other financial companies to build newer, modern, more innovative solutions that, for example, could target niche markets. And this really is a win-win for whether it's the API providers or the end users or the companies building on top of the APIs, you have this increased transaction flow for, for the banks. And at the same time, end users will be getting uh, more targeted services that might fit their specific needs. How do you see this tech evolving over the coming five to 10 years? A very difficult question, I know, but what are your thoughts? I'll start with the obvious. One obvious trend is uh, the move to the cloud. For us, it's obvious, but when you look at all the legacy banks, the adoption is there, but it's quite slow. You have the tier one banks who are all doing it. We will be seeing a massive increase in adoption, whether it's within these banks as they expand their cloud footprint among their services or the smaller banks who have yet to get their feet wet. For the companies that are already advanced in their cloud journey, I believe that we're going to see more and more of a push towards serverless solutions that will remove another layer of management required for these tech teams and more and more no-code solutions where Technology teams and companies can adopt existing solutions to common problems without having to reinvent the wheel every time so that these companies can focus on really what is their differentiator. That's a common theme already, but I think with the expansion of financial APIs, we're going to see a lot more of that and a lot more of things that are once things that needed to be built and companies needed to spend six months to a year building things, these become commodities. And that's going to drive innovation because people will be able to build things that are very unique without having to worry about the standard things. And what role will you as currency have to play in this journey? I think our role is twofold. If you look at what the cloud has done to computing in general, we see ourselves as sort of the cloud for global banking services. For example, if you're beginning in global commerce, instead of having to deal with multiple banks, multiple jurisdictions, multiple regulatory landscapes, we can abstract all of that away for you. We deal with all of that, all of the connections to the local banking systems, all of the regulatory things that need to be handled. That is all abstracted away for you, similar to how the cloud abstracts away all the hardware and the data centers and all that stuff. We abstract away all of the different local banking subtleties. And that what we give is one platform giving you access to global but local banking networks instantly. The other aspect is, as we've discussed before, APIs. So we have our own open API that we're constantly expanding, where our strategy with the API is to give our more sophisticated clients access to our API to build automation on top of our platform, give, for example, other fintechs who would like to use our services to to build services on top of ours. And I believe that's also going to drive innovation. And like I said before, it's a win-win because that will give us more transaction flow as well. Fab, thank you so much for explaining that. Sam, how can people find out more about Currency? 
Well, we're a digital company, so I suggest to look at our website first. You can find everything you need there. Um, you can just look us up on Google. Currency is C-U-R-R-E-N-X-I-E or currency.com. Or you can just reach out to us straight away at sales at currency.com. Uh, we're very responsive and we'd be happy to hear from anyone who's listening. Excellent. Sam and Bard, thank you so much. Thank you, Jordi. Thanks, Jordi. Thanks, Jordi.